I could tell that we are gonna be friends. Hey, have you ever wondered how to make friends? If you're, if you're not sure, check this out. To make friends, join an organization, club, or sports team, since one of the best ways to make friends is to find people with similar interests. Try volunteering somewhere to meet potential friends who are passionate about the same causes as you are. If joining a group or volunteering is too far out of your comfort zone, try striking up conversations with people you see regularly, like someone you sit next to in class or the cashier at your favorite store. You could also try sitting with different people during lunch. It's okay if you're nervous to talk to new people. Just smile, stand up straight, and make eye contact so you seem friendly. Once you've talked a few times, try initiating a get-together by inviting them somewhere, like a sports game or a concert. After you start hanging out, you'll quickly become better friends. All right, so now you know how to make friends. We'll see you guys next week. Take it easy. No, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. We can't stop there. That'd be a short Sunday. You'd be like, yes, thank God we get to go enjoy the day. No, you have to stay here and listen to me for another hour. So uh, I'm just joking. It'll only be um, 45 minutes. But have you ever wondered, have you ever had trouble making friends? Like, we live in a society and a culture where it seems like it's so difficult for us to make friends. And, and I'm not talking about fans, right? I mean, you might have fans where when, when things are going good, they're with you. But then when things aren't going good, they're, they're gone. I'm not talking about fans. I'm not even talking about followers. Like on Instagram, we have followers. And, and, and maybe you have thousands of followers, hundreds of followers. And these are people who double tap your picture. I'm not, I'm not talking about followers or fans. And I'm not even talking about friends like who are friends because maybe you share a similar hobby or a similar, similar interest or you're friends by proximity because you work together. Because when you move away, when you don't work there anymore, when you're disinterested in that, when you're not engaged in the hobby anymore, then, then they're not your friends anymore. I'm talking about your for real, for real friends. Like, do you have for real, for real friends? Proverbs, this book of wisdom in the scriptures describes a person like this who's a for real, for real friend. It's found in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24. It says, there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. I'm gonna, do you have friends like that? Friends who stick closer than a brother. And I know, I know I've had difficulty with this in my life. Up until recently, it's been a really difficult thing for me to find friends who stick closer than a brother. And, and, and my guess is that that's probably a difficult thing for you as well. Uh, there's a, a recent study that came out that gave some stats about friendship in our society. It says this, that the percentage of Americans who say they have no close friendships has quadrupled. 51% of Americans say they are rarely satisfied with the quality of their friendships. 40% of Americans only interact with friends online. 40% of Americans only interact with friends online. Only three out of 10 men report having a personal conversation. Five out of 10 women report having a personal conversation. 50% of millennials say their best friends are their parents. And loneliness is as deadly as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. And if the stats are true, and I believe they are, 
my guess is that you probably have difficulty when it comes to making friends, like real friends. Like we live in a society and a culture where it is difficult for us to make for real, for real friends. And there's all kinds of reasons for that. We live more remotely. We're connected uh, online and socially. Uh, We've been hurt before. And sometimes we try and guard ourselves from being hurt. Again, there's all kinds of reasons why we have difficulty building for real, for real friendships. But, But I'm wondering how your friendships are. Like, like I wonder, I mean, I, I get it, right? You, you got work friends and kickball friends and school friends and fill-in-the-blank friends, and that's great, and that's fine, but I'm not asking about that. I'm wondering, do you have like two to five friends, just a few friends, a handful of friends who are your 2 a.m. friends? And I don't mean that you're partying with them till 2 a.m. I mean, they're your 2 a.m. friends so that when, this, when it hits the fan, when life is crumbling all around you and it gets real, do you have friends who you can call at 2 in the morning and they're there for you? They'll, they'll listen to you. They'll come over. Do you have those kinds of friends? Who are your 2 a.m. friends? My, my guess is it's difficult for you to come up with a list on that. Because again, we live in a society and a culture where it's so difficult for us to make friends. We live in a society and culture where it's so difficult for us to make friends. There's actually a website that you can join. It's called friendmatch.com. You can join it for free and you can make friends. Here's the question that they pose on their site. How do you meet new people when life is busy, when you need a change, or when you move to a new city? We offer a modern solution, a place online just to make friends. Friends, you remember when you were a kid, how easy it was to make friends? Like you just go up to somebody and say, hey, you want to be my friend? Yeah, we'll be friends. And then you had a friend. Like that's how it was. It was so easy to make friends when we were kids. But now as adults, it's so much more difficult. But you can join a site to make some friends. We've been in this series called Instimacy. And it's about how do we develop friendships in an Instagram world? How do we develop real friendships in an Instagram world? Because we're so connected socially. We're so connected online. But when it comes to having those 2 a.m. friends, I wonder, have you filled that list out yet? Did you come up with the people who are your 2 a.m. friends yet? When it comes to having those for real, for real friends, it's really challenging for us. Because we live in a society, again, where 40% of people have their friendship interactions online. Only. The majority of people say that they're dissatisfied with the quality of their friendships. And this is crucial because the quality of your life is greatly determined by the people who are in it. And so the question is, who are your for real, for real friends? And how do we make these kind of friends? What I want to do today is I want to give you an answer. I want to give you a solution on how we can have these for real, for real friends. Because what I've experienced, what I've seen. Like as a pastor, I have this, this, this privilege and this opportunity to get to know so many people and I get let in on people's lives. And um, it's a great honor, it's a great privilege to, to be able to share that with people. It's a great honor, it's a great privilege to be trusted enough to be asked to come to somebody's hospital bed when they're hanging on for life. It's a great honor, it's a great privilege to be 
shared the information about how this family is, is struggling because um, communication just isn't where it needs to be and they need help and they're looking for that help. It's a great honor and a great privilege to be invited to some of the great celebrations in people's lives as well. Like that's where I sit. I, I have this, this inside look at people's lives because I get invited into these things. And there are people that I know, there are couples that I know whose marriages suck. Like they're, they're struggling. They're, they're just barely making it through. They're, they're striving to get to the next day. They live like roommates, but they silently suffer because they're in it alone together. And they don't have other people that they can bring in who can pour into them or, or encourage them or inspire them or challenge them or help them see something differently. They just kind of live on this island on, on their own and they try and work through this stuff in their marriage and it's not getting any better. There are individuals, people that I know who are, who are struggling, who don't like what they see when they look in the mirror, who, um, who are, are insecure, who uh, have these wounds from the past, and they're trying to deal with this and struggle through this on their own, and they feel so isolated, but they continue to power through on their own, and they operate as islands, just independent of anyone else. Like There are so many people that I know and that I talk with who would benefit so much. I mean, they're surrounded by people, but they feel so lonely. It would benefit so much if they had those kind of friends who invested in them, who, who inspired them, who challenged them, who encouraged them. And, and my guess is that you might be one of those people. And maybe you don't feel lonely. Maybe, maybe you're surrounded by people. Maybe, maybe you have people in your life, but I wonder, is there somebody in your life who knows everything about you? Not everybody needs to know everything about you, but somebody needs to know everything about you so they can be there for you and help you and challenge you and hold you accountable. Do you have people like that in your life? My guess is, for most of us, the answer is maybe or no. And so what I want to do is I want to help us get to a point where we experience real intimacy, which means being known and know, which means knowing and, know, and being known by others. So knowing and being known by others and not intimacy, where we live at a distance. And in order for us to get there, in order for us to develop these kind of friendships, to have these kind of relationships, I need to take you back to this event that took place 2,000 years ago that transformed this guy's life forever. And so what we're going to do is we're going to read uh, from Luke chapter 19 uh, in the scriptures, and it, it details this event for us where this guy's life is forever Change. And, and what we see is that there's a man who goes from showing up for the show to being seen and known. Th this man goes from showing up for the show to being seen and known. By the way, that's the title for my sermon today. And so the way that we take notes here is we take pictures. And so you can take your phone out, take a picture of this. This is the title for the sermon. If you're writing it down, write that down. From showing up to the show to being seen and known. This is the key for us to develop these friendships that we long for. Luke chapter 19, verse 1. It says, Jesus entered Jericho, and he made his way through the town. And there was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead. He climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. <clears throat> When Jesus came by, he looked up 
at Zacchaeus, and he called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down. He took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy, but the people were displeased. He's gone to be a guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord, and if I've cheated people on their taxes, I'll give them back four times as much. And Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham, for the son of man came to seek and to save those who were lost. And so what happens is Zacchaeus showed up for the show. Right? Zacchaeus showed up for the show. Jesus was in town, and Zacchaeus wanted to see him. So there's this parade of people. Uh, there's this parade going on, which consists of just Jesus, and there's people gathering around to see him. So he shows up for the show to see Jesus. And what happens is Zacchaeus and Jesus become instant friends. The reason is because Zacchaeus first showed up for the show. How many of you know you got to first show up for the show? Sometimes we whine and complain about things that we don't have or things that we desire that aren't yet in our possession, but the reason is because we didn't show up for the show. You with me? If you want something, you first got to show up. If you want your marriage to get better, you got to show up. If you want your kids to be more disciplined or to be uh, on the path that you want them to be on, you got to show up in your parenting. You got to show up in your friendships. If you want the promotion, if you want the job, if you want whatever it is you want, you first got to show up. Like I hear about jobs that are offering people money just for showing up to the interview. Why do we got to... <laughs> yeah. If you want the job, you got to show up. We are in a society and culture where we are bribing people to show up. But here's the deal. You got to show up to the gym if you want the muscles. You got to show up in your marriage if you want it to thrive. You got to show up for your kids and love them and guide them and direct them. If you want them to be all that God has called them to be, you got to show up to the house. You got to show up to church. You got to show up to the service if you want to feel the closeness you want for God. You're wondering, why do I feel distant from God? Why do I feel separated? You got to show up. We got to show up. And sometimes we just sit back and we whine and complain. How come I don't? It's not. I wish. You got to show up. Zacchaeus showed up to the show. Jesus is in town. He hears about it. He shows up to the show. But there's a problem. Because Zacchaeus is a wee little man. And a wee little man is he. He can't see Jesus over the crowd. And so he comes up with a solution of climbing up a sycamore fig tree so that he can better see Jesus. Now, for Zacchaeus to better see Jesus, to be seen by Jesus, he has to step outside of his comfort zone. He has to think about, what, what can I do to overcome this obstacle? Here's what most of us do. Most of us show up to the show. Things don't go how we thought they would go. They're not as easy as we want them to be. And instead of climbing a sycamore fig tree, we sit back and complain. Well, these people are too tall. 
These people won't move out the way. I can't see. How come nobody calls me? You want friends, but then you say, how come nobody calls me? How come nobody reaches out to me? How come nobody sets up the event? How come, how come, how come I don't get invited? Zacchaeus could have done that. He could have sat back and complained about all the people who were in front of him, came up with all the reasons why he couldn't see Jesus, come up with all the excuses he could have dreamed up in his mind as to why he couldn't see Jesus, and then he'd be stuck in the same spot he was in, not seeing Jesus. How many of you know I'm not talking about Zacchaeus anymore? This is, I want friends. I want, I want relationships. I want to have those 2 a.m. friends. But the question is, who have you called? Who have you reached out to? Who have you gotten to know when you walked through the doors this morning that you didn't know already? See, in order for us to have friends, we got to be a friend. In order for us to have friends, we got to be a friend. In order for us to do that, it means that we got to step outside of our comfort zone and put a little work in. Things worth having often require work. It's difficult. It's challenging. It means that we got to step outside of our comfort zone, sometimes doing the thing we've never done before to get the thing we've never had before. I hope y'all are taking notes on this. This is good stuff. I'm preaching better than you're taking notes. So, but to have friends, you got to first be a friend, which requires you to get outside your comfort zone. You just imagine Zacchaeus. He wants to see Jesus, but he can't. So he sees a fig tree, and he's like, all right, I got to get up there. And I don't know how low the branches are or anything. Again, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, so he maybe had to jump. Maybe he had to get somebody, hey, can you lift me up in there? But he had to climb up in the tree, and now he's standing out from everybody else. This is uncomfortable, especially if you're an introvert, you're hearing this, you're like, no, I'm going to just hide behind the crowd. Zacchaeus is up in the tree. Everybody can see him, which also means Jesus can see him, and he can see Jesus. He gets outside of his comfort zone, and because he gets outside of his comfort zone, he does something that's weird and awkward for him. He does something that's difficult for him. He gets seen by Jesus. Now, he's able to see Jesus as well. And so if the story stopped there, that'd be a really cool, inspiring story. I mean, just, just think about it. Zacchaeus is like, yeah, it, like, like Zacchaeus is talking to his grandkids one day. And he was like, man, I heard Jesus was in town, and so I went to go see him, but I'm so short. Y'all know I'm short. Y'all grandkids keep making fun of me. Y'all need to stop that. Respect your elders. But I couldn't see. So what I did was I climbed up this tree, right? And then I saw Jesus, and he passed by, and it was so cool. I was so inspired to see him. That'd be a great story for him to share with his grandkids one day. But the story doesn't stop there. It actually moves on past inspiration. We see Luke chapter 19, verse 5. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and he called him by name. I want to I point this out. There were all kinds of other people in the crowd, but Jesus looked up and he noticed Zacchaeus and he called him by name. I wonder if the reason why Jesus called him by name summon him, is because Zacchaeus was willing to do the thing nobody else was willing to do. He was willing to step outside of his comfort zone and stand out and do something different. I don't know. He said, come quick. 
I must be a guest in your home today. And so Jesus is, is walking down the street. He sees Zacchaeus up in the tree, and he says, Zacchaeus, uh, I'm going to invite myself over to your house. He, he just says, I'm coming over. And uh, this, is, this is awkward, right? Because what happens is Zacchaeus goes from showing up for the show to being seen and known. Jesus is saying, I want to shift the scene from the parade on the street into your home. And so when Jesus says this, he said, I'm going to come into the place that you live. If I were to tell you today, right now, right after the service, hey, I'm coming to your house, there'd be butterflies in your stomach or there'd be an uneasiness because you're thinking, oh my goodness, we still got the pile of laundry that's on the, on the couch and we got to move that real quick. We got um, to clean up. I got to sweep. I got to vacuum. I got to do all this. Wait, I don't know, right? And because if I come into your home unannounced like that, I see your mess. You see my mess. Jesus is saying to Zacchaeus, I want to come see your mess. I want to come see who you really are. Which is amazing to me that our mess doesn't scare Jesus away. Our mess does not scare Jesus away. You, you may want to keep him at a distance. No, it's good. I'll just see you from the tree. I'll see you at the parade. But Jesus is saying, no, I, I want to come into your home. And I want to see the mess. And I want to see who you really are. I want to get to know you. And I want you to know me. He says, Zacchaeus, i got to come be a guest in your home. What happens is the scene shifts from the show to the home. The scene shifts from a place of inspiration. Oh, it's so cool. I got to see Jesus to a place we're about to see of transformation. And it happens in Zacchaeus' home. Now, when Jesus says this to Zacchaeus, some people don't like it because Zacchaeus is a tax collector. And tax collectors were seen much like tax man, tax collectors are seen today. Uh, if you owe taxes to the IRS, you don't like the tax man, right? Well, in the same way back then, they didn't like the tax man because he was working for Rome. Rome was the nation that conquered you. And so he's collecting taxes to fuel the nation that conquered you. And on top of that, tax collectors would often skim off the top and they'd take more than what you owed so that they could line their own pockets. They were seen as thieves and scoundrels. And so Jesus says to Zacchaeus, this tax collector, this person who's hated, this person who's looked down on, I'm going to come spend time with you. Some people hear that and they were displeased. Luke 19, 7, he has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. And so Jesus, this righteous guy, is going to go be the guest of this notorious, dirty, rotten sinner, and we don't like it. Can I just point this out, too, that Jesus says, that doesn't scare me. Your actions, your history, your past, your lifestyle, whatever it is, doesn't scare me. I need to come be a guest in your home because I want to get to know you. Whatever it is you've been through, whatever it is you've done, no matter your faults, flaws, and failures, no matter how you've messed up, Jesus draws near to you. Maybe you showed up today and you said, dear God, please don't strike me down when I walk in the building. Maybe you've talked to people and you've invited people to church and you said, you got to come check it out. And they said, oh no, church isn't for me because if I walked into the church, I'd die right away or the church would burn up or something like that. Here's what I want to point out to you, that Jesus is drawn to people just like you and me. Jesus is drawn to people who don't have it all together. 
that doesn't intimidate him, that doesn't scare him. Stop thinking so highly of yourself and your badness that God couldn't have anything to do with you. God wants everything to do with you, and he calls you by name, just like he calls Zacchaeus. And so he goes to to be a guest in Zacchaeus' house. And I just want to point out, Jesus is drawn to people who don't have it all together, which is why I'm so grateful to be a part of a church like this, where we get to understand that God loves us for who we are and not as we should be, because none of us are as we should be. Jesus is drawn to people who don't have it all together, which is why he's drawn to you. Jesus is drawn to people who don't have it all together, which, hold on, let me push a little further, let me make it more uncomfortable for you, which is why he's drawn to the person you don't like. Jesus is drawn to people who don't have it all together, which is why he's drawn to the people who annoy you, to the people you still need to forgive, to the people that you're holding a grudge against. Jesus is drawn to people who don't have it all together, which is why he loves them just as much as he loves you when he calls you to love them like he loves them. Is this too much? Jesus said, I got to be a guest in your house, and some people don't like it. Let me tell you, this is why we do what we do as a church. We're a church that exists to help people meet Jesus and journey with him. And over and over again, we run after people who are far from God, and that causes us to create the things that we do, to do some of the things that we do, to do cover songs like we do on Sunday morning, to, for the language that we use, the things that we do, is because we want to reach that person who would never set foot in church. And some people don't like it. Some people don't understand it. Some people think church is just for church people, but we've come to say, no, church is for church people, but church really is also for people who aren't church people because Jesus is drawn to those people as well. So... This happens. They grumble. He's gone to be a guest of a notorious sinner. And, and I love this. Um, after they say that, and I, don't, I, I didn't give them this in the slides, um, but it says that uh, they were displeased. He's gone to be a grumble. Verse 8 says, meanwhile, meanwhile, so, so, so Zacchaeus quickly climbed down, and he took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. He wasn't stressed out. He's going to see my mess. He's excited. And then, and then in between that, he, he took him to his house. There's verse 7, but the people were displeased. He's gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner. And then it says, meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, here's, here's what I want to point out, and, and I just saw it as I was reading it. When people grumble against Zacchaeus, there's a meanwhile, right? When people grumble against Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus just, just shifts focus on what really matters. There are some people who grumble against you. There are some people who complain. There are some haters that you got. Can you just meanwhile them? Can you? Okay, meanwhile. Uh, okay, I, I don't know what you're talking about, but meanwhile, because I'm focusing on Jesus, and I'm focusing on what he's trying to do in my life. Meanwhile. Sometimes, hey, I get it, man, because I get so caught up in this. I get caught up in the, um, in the what somebody said or didn't say, and, and I can let things stay in my, I need, I need to live it. Meanwhile, let me just move right on. So let me move right on. Now, meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord, and he said, 
I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord, and if I've cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. And Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. Here's what I want you to see. Zacchaeus showed up for the show to see Jesus in the parade, but he went from showing up for the show to being seen and known because the scene shifted from the parade where there's inspiration, Jesus at a distance, this is great, to being close and connected in his home. And then Zacchaeus was seen and known, and there was transformation that took place. I don't know that Zacchaeus ever would have made that decision, I'm going to give back to those that I've stolen from, and I'm going to give half my wealth to the poor. I don't know that he ever would have made that decision if the scene stopped at the parade, if the scene stopped at the show. Again, he would have had a great story to tell his grandkids, I saw Jesus, and I was in this tree, and it was awesome, it was amazing. But because the scene shifted from the show to his home, he doesn't just have a story to tell his grandkids, he has something to pass on to his grandkids because his life is transformed. He makes a decision because Jesus entered into his home. The scene shifted from the show to the home. You know, over the past 17 years of ministry, uh, I've become convinced of something so much so just recently, and it required a global pandemic for me to become even more convinced of this. And I've known this, but I'm so convinced of this. And, and I don't get convinced of a lot of things. I, I hold a lot of things loosely, but I hold on to this really tight. And it's, and, and it's this, that inspiration happens in rows at the show. Transformation happens in circles in a home. Inspiration happens in rows at the show. Transformation happens in circles in a home. We see this with Zacchaeus. He shows up to the show and he sees Jesus, but when Jesus comes to his home, there's transformation that takes place. And I've become so convinced of this, especially since COVID. You know, before launching Journey, uh, my wife and I, we started a church called The Rising. We started this church back in 2014, and uh, we met till 2021, so six years. And um, in those six years, we averaged about 170 people during that time. Our church then was bigger than this church now, and that's okay. We saw 174 people give their lives to Christ in baptism. In six years, that's not normal. We gave away hundreds of thousands of dollars to our strategic partners and local nonprofit organizations that were making a difference all around the world. We saw great and amazing things take place, and then COVID hit. And then when COVID hit in 2020, we did the thing every church did, is we stopped meeting. And then we went online, and we figured that out. And then slowly, we started meeting again. And... Um, from that 170 people, we saw about 90 people come back, and I was devastated. What happened? We ended up shutting down in January 2021, and uh, since then, I've talked to a lot of different pastors, talked to a lot of different uh, church planters, and I've seen the example and stories of other churches that went through COVID as well, and what I discovered is um, that what happened with us happened with everybody. Every church experiences. I thought it was just us. I was like, what's wrong? What happened? But this happened to every church. And what I found after talking with uh, a lot of different pastors and hearing uh, so many different stories of all these different churches 
is that anywhere between 40 and 60% of people in their churches like didn't come back. Like they had people that they were doing life with, they were connected with, and, and, and who were coming to their church, but 40 to 60% of people didn't come back. Now some of those people moved away, some of those people ended up at other churches, but there was a recent study that showed that 33%, one third of people who are part of a church pre-COVID are not part of a church now. A third of people who were part of a church previously are not part of a church now. And what I saw during that time is that the church got sifted. We got sifted and people drifted. You know, when you sift something, you put powder in a sifter and you, and you hit it and some of it falls out and some of it stays in. The church got sifted and when the church got sifted during COVID, people drifted. When we were in the process of launching Journey, I was like, oh man, this is going to be great. We're going to have so many people come be part of our launch team. We're going to have people from our last church come be a part of this. And I was amazed. Like I had names. I knew who was going to come join us. I was amazed to see only 30% of people came to be a part of what we're doing. And I just thought, man. And then, and then there are people I know who, they're not part of a church now at all, anywhere. And what I found, what I discovered, and what so many other pastors found and discovered, what we see as we look at the statistics with churches is that pre-COVID, we created a lot of attenders. There were a lot of people attending churches, but we didn't create strong, healthy churches. See, the church is not a service. The church is not a building. The church is a people. Church is a people, a gathering of people who rally around a mission, which becomes a movement. And if we create a church, if we create a gathering of people rallied around a mission, a movement, then when difficult things come, like a global pandemic, when hard things happen, instead of getting sifted and drifted, what happens is we get stronger and we rally around one another and we become a force to be reckoned with. And what I found, and what so many pastors found, what so many churches found, is that we didn't do that. We created a group of attenders who showed up for a show on a weekly basis. And we can't do that anymore. We can't do that anymore. And it's because of this that we're going to shift the model of our meeting. And uh, I've talked to a couple different churches that have done this, and I've done a lot of research on this, and we've done some case studies on this. But I've become so convinced that inspiration happens in Sunday morning in rows, and transformation happens uh, in circles and homes, we're going to shift the model of our meeting. See, most churches, they'll meet for a Sunday service just like this, and they'll meet every single week. And that's what we've been doing since we launched March 20th. Our grand opening, we've been meeting every single week like this. Uh, and then what churches will do is they'll have weeknight groups where uh, during the week you go to a group and you sit in a circle in homes and you get to know people and you build community and uh, typically, churches will have about 40 to 60% of their congregation involved in these weeknight groups. Uh, we have about 19% of our church involved in these weeknight groups. And so if this is true, that inspiration happens in rows on Sunday morning, but transformation takes place in circles and homes, then only about 19% of our church is really transforming, experiencing this transformation. And so here's what we're going to do. Because I hear people are busy. Busy. We've got all these things going on. 
And, and I just want to say, you're probably not as busy as you think you are. The reason why you're so busy is probably because you have uh, improper priorities or poor time management. It's one of those things, most of the time. But I don't have time to fix everybody's priorities and time management. Instead, I just want to meet all of us where we are and say, okay, we're busy, we're busy, we're busy. We can't do anything during the week. So here's what we're going to do. Beginning in August, we're going to do this six-month experiment. And I call it an experiment because I don't know what's going to happen. This might be the greatest thing ever. It might be the worst thing ever. We're going to see. We're going to do this six-month experiment where we're going to meet together and be inspired in rows on Sunday morning like this. And then the next week on Sunday morning, we're going to meet in homes, in circles to be transformed. In that group setting, we're going to talk about the thing that inspired us last week, the service, and then see how do we live that out now in our lives. So we're going to go to this model beginning in August where, and we're going to make sure you're aware of it. You got to check your email, all that stuff, check our social media, check our site, all that. But in August, we're going to do a service one week and then groups one week, and then a service one Sunday, and then groups one Sunday morning. And we're going to do that on a rotating basis for six months. Now, we're not going to have church one week and groups next week. No, we're going to have church one week, and then church one week, and then church one week, and then church one week, because the church is the people. We're just meeting in a different setting, right? So it's not, I got church this week, and then I'm off next week. No, I got church this week, and I got church this week. And this week, I'm going to sit in a row and get inspired This week, I'm going to sit in a circle and uh, be transformed. And what's going to happen? Here's my hope. Here's here's what I think is going to take place. Again, we see it with Zacchaeus. He shows up for the show. He's inspired. But then it transitions to his home, and he's transformed. Here's what I believe is going to happen. As we move to this model, and my goal in doing this is that 100% of our church is involved in groups. Because again, it's Sunday morning. You already carved it out to be the church. So... What happens is when we move to this model, as you are in these circles, in groups, in homes, you're going to get to know people. You're going to get to know their names. You're going to get to hear their stories because right now we're strangers sitting in a service. We sang some songs. You're hearing a sermon, but we're strangers sitting in rows. As we move to this model, what's going to happen is uh, slowly you're going to get to know the people who are sitting around you. You're going to get to know the people who are several rows down from you, who are a couple rows behind you or in front of you. You're going to get to know the people on the left and the right. And as we get to know people, what happens is the people that we smile at on Sunday, we now know their stories. Because behind every smile is a story. And this isn't an environment where we get to know people's story as much because we sit and we listen and then we leave. But in the circle in the group, that's when we get to know people's stories. That's when we get to hear what's going on. That's when we get to share our own stories. And that's where we build these for real, for real friendships. That's where we find our crew. That's where we find our tribe. That's where we find our people in these circles and homes. So we're going to move to this model in August. And I believe that by doing this, we will be the church God has called us to be. And we're going to get to know one another better. And I know there may be some questions. And I know there may be some fear. If you're an introvert, it's like, oh, I don't know. But again, we've got to step outside of our comfort zone. If we want the thing that we want, we've got to do the thing that's hard to do. 
And again, we all want friends. We all want to find our crew. As best as I know most of you, nobody here bites. Like, it'll be okay. As we get to know one another, we bring people into our lives. What I believe is that we'll see that we're not in our marriages alone, but we have people who can help us and support us and challenge us and hold us accountable. What we're going to find is that we're not in our life alone, but we'll have people who, who know us and can help us and support us and hold us accountable. And so this is the model that we're going to be moving to. And this is why I so love the design of the church that God created. God had this idea in the first place that the church would be filled with people who are different, who come from all different walks of life, different stories and experiences. And as we share those stories and experiences with one another, then we'll become who God has called us to be because we can learn from one another. We can support one another. We can challenge one another. We can encourage one another. And that begins when we move from showing up for the show to being seen and known. And I love hearing stories of, of how people are discovering their place and, and finding their pack, finding their crew, their tribe in this church. Like Jeremy, he's a realtor um, who's in our church, and um, he's looking to build a team, and it was through this church that he met Marissa. And he invited Marissa to be part of his team, and now they're working together as a team, and from everything I hear, things are going good, so keep it up, Marissa. Uh, but... Like, that never would have happened if they didn't get to know one another through this church. How do you make friends? It's by being seen and known. And the way that we're going to do that is by moving to this model of a service one week where we're inspired and groups one week where we're transformed. And I love this last part that we see with Zacchaeus. At the very end, Jesus says this, for the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. The Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. We're a church uh, that exists to help people meet Jesus and journey with him. As we get ready to uh, gear up for these groups, I want to invite you to sign up for a group. And so we've talked about the app before. Uh, let's see if we have the, the slide for the app. We're going to put that up. And this will give you, like if you have an Android device, it'll give you the app on the Android device. If you have an iPhone, it'll give you the app there. If you have not yet downloaded the app, now is the time to do this. Scan this, because it's from this app that you're going to be able to sign up for a group. And these groups that you're signing up for, when you go to the app, you'll see it. You tap on it. The groups you're signing up for are Sunday morning groups. Sunday morning groups. August 7th is going to be our first time meeting in groups. Uh, August 7th is our first time meeting in groups. The next week, August 14th, we'll do a service. The following week, group. The following week, service. If you do not sign up for a group, you're going to miss out on half of what we're doing as a church. And I don't want you to miss out on that because we're going to go on this journey together. So scan for the app. Download the app. You'll see three group options. One is in Norfolk. Two are in Virginia Beach. Pick the one that's closest to you. They're going to be identical. They're going to be the same. But this is how you're going to find your crew. This is how you're going to make the friends that you long to have. This is how you're going to develop these 2 a.m. friends. So scan for the app. Sign up for a group. I said the thing that I love most is at the very end of Luke chapter 19, it's in verse 10, with um, Zacchaeus, Jesus explained, for the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. He said, I've come to seek and save those who are lost. 
And this is what we remember every single week as we take communion. When you came in, you saw cups on your uh, chairs and in those cups, there's some bread that represents Jesus' body that was broken for us and there's juice that represents his blood that was shed for us. In a moment, we're gonna take communion. But we do this because Jesus went to the cross. He went to the cross to seek and save those who were lost, us, me and you. And as we take communion, we remember what Jesus' mission statement was. This is why Jesus came to this world, to seek and save the lost, not so that found people could be more found, not so that people could read their Bible more, not so that people would sing songs to him, not so that people would give money to him. All those things are great. All those things are amazing. The reason why Jesus came is to seek and to save the lost. And if you're somebody who's been found, Jesus saved you. And as we take communion, thank him for that. Remember that. But then, as you take communion, think about all the people in your life who still are lost and need to be found. Jesus came to seek and save the lost, and if you've been found, you get to join his team in seeking and saving the lost, and you know people who need him, so it's time to invite them to come next week, because they need hope that you have. They're stumbling around in the darkness, and they need light that you know. So as you take communion, thank God that just like Zacchaeus, he found you, but pray for the people you know who still need to be found and ask God to use you to be the instrument to bring them home to him. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for your grace and your mercy and your love. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you that you came to seek and save the lost. Thank you that our mess doesn't scare you. Thank you that you don't keep us at an arm's distance, even though we try to keep you at an arm's distance sometimes, but you press into our home so that we can be seen and known. Thank you that you relentlessly and recklessly run toward us, so help us recklessly run with you. And one of the ways that we do that is by joining your mission to seek and save the lost. Another way we do that is realizing we can't do this alone, but we need to see and know other people. And so as we engage in this six-month experiment coming up beginning in August, I pray that you rally us around your mission and you help us find the friends we so desperately need. We can find our crew as we run toward you. In Jesus' name.